For the past couple of weeks, we've uh, been in the book of Mark and we're going to continue uh, just studying this book kind of tucked away in the middle of the Bible. And the reason we're studying the book of Mark is so that we can look at the life of Jesus, look at the man that he is, the life that he lived when he was on earth and look at his teachings. And the whole reason we're doing this is so that as a community, we can follow him so that we don't just sit around and talk about Jesus, but so that we can know him and love him and follow him more clearly. Uh, to give us an idea of where we're going this morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 14 through verse 20. And uh, in verses 14 and 15, he gives us this kind of big picture of what Jesus is doing and saying. And then verses 16 through 20, he really kind of zooms in to show us how this, to show us how this plays out in our lives. And so to kind of help you give an, uh, get an idea, I don't know if you guys watch the Olympics or not, hopefully you do. Um, just because it's great. Anyways, uh, not other, any other reason besides that. But the Olympics, if you ever watch the Olympics, so often what they'll do is they'll give you this bird's eye view of the arena. And so you kind of get this view from a blimp or from the top of the stadium. You can see like the whole arena. You can see all the people and you can see different colors of different nations. And, and you can see a track in the middle of the arena and you can see people on it, but you can't see details really. So they give you this big picture, but then I love what they will do so often, like right before a race starts, they'll switch to a different camera angle and they'll, they'll go right to the start line where you can see the runners. And you can see them as specs like from up top, but when you like really zoom in, you can see like the intensity in their eyes. You can see the sweat running down their faces. You can see their muscles firing as they take the first step into this race. And both perspectives are important. And uh, what I love about Mark is that he so brilliantly gives us this big picture of Jesus and then he brings it down and he shows us like how this plays out in the life of a person who's trying to follow Jesus. And so I want us to start with a big picture in verse 14. And, and this is what Mark says. He says, after John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus Christ went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. There's so much going on here, and I just want to point out a few things uh, this morning in these few verses. Uh, John the Baptist, I love what Mark does. He shows us that, that John has, has played his part. He's played his role. And so you can go back and read him in the first 13 verses of, of Mark chapter 1. But essentially what Mark is wanting us to understand is that, is that John had played the part that God wanted him to play. And now it's time for Jesus to step in and play a much more significant role. And I know this is just a small, a small, short piece of a sentence, but God was just really like awakening my heart this week as I was reading this. And I'm going, man, I hope this is a story that God writes in every one of our lives. Like Aaron and, and Kevin and, and Drew and Megan. It's like I look around this room and I go, wouldn't it be amazing, Grant, like if, if God allowed us to be a part of like helping our friends and our families and our neighbors and our coworkers that don't know Jesus, wouldn't it be amazing to get to be a part of, of helping them come to know Jesus. And then watching as Jesus like steps into their life, Jesus, not some concept or some historical figure, but, but Jesus, the son of God, the living Lord who created all things, who is alive. Wouldn't it be amazing to introduce them to Jesus and then to watch Jesus do in their lives what he does? I go, I hope this is a story that God writes in our lives. <laughs> this is what God chooses to do through us. I love that it mentions that Jesus goes into Galilee this subtle detail, but I think it's so interesting. Galilee was the neck of the woods that Jesus was from. This is his hometown, the place he grew up. I learned this week that, that Galilee was also this kind of place of comfort. And so I don't know what you think about when you think of comfort, but there's a, a place with, with nice houses and good restaurants and, and good public schools to send their kids to. And 
with good jobs and the economy was on the up and up. It was just this like picture of comfort. And what I think is so compelling and beautiful about Jesus is last week, if you were with us, Jesus goes into the wilderness and the wilderness is this picture of, of isolation and brokenness and dryness. And Jesus goes to those places. And you know, doesn't that resonate with where so many of us are in life? Like we look at our lives and we're just broken and we're dry and we feel isolated and distant from God. And Jesus is in the business of going to people who are isolated and broken and dry and giving them more of himself. But he's not just looking for people whose, whose lives are spiraling downward. He goes to people who are in places of comfort, who think that they've arrived. And what he does, he doesn't come with some condemning message. He says, come, I've got more for you. And Jesus is in the business of meeting us where we are giving us himself and inviting us into something more. I love that it says that Jesus shows up and he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe this good news. One of the things that we're gonna see as we journey through the book of Mark over this next year is that the kingdom of God is one of Jesus' favorite things to talk about. You know, uh, this is about your grandfather. Like, I don't know if you have a grandfather like this, but he just like tells the same story over and over and over again. Like, this is Jesus. Like, he just keeps talking about the kingdom of God because it's like his favorite thing to talk about. And we're gonna notice this. And I don't have time this morning to fully unpack what the kingdom of God is. It's people have spent their entire lives, people much smarter than me, writing books that are thousands of pages long. We don't have time to make it simple. Uh, but we're gonna learn about it as we journey through Mark. But for our conversation this morning, to kind of give us an idea of, of what Jesus is introducing to us and telling us uh, about the kingdom of God, is he's wanting us to understand this, that God and all that he is and all that he has has moved into the neighborhood. That God has come close. That God has become reachable and seeable and touchable and knowable. And it hit me this week, though. He doesn't just say that, that, that God has come. What does he say? Very, read it with me. What does it say? The, the kingdom of God. And it just hit me that it's not just God that came in, and that would be plenty, but, but God has brought his kingdom, and he has set up shops, and he has claimed the land, and he has claimed us as people, and he has come to reign and to draw us to, ourself, to, draw us to himself and to invite us into a much better way of living. The kingdom of God is this great declaration that God has come so that we could know him. And he hasn't just come for a visit. Like he hasn't just brought his travel bag. That he's bought a house and he's rented a U-Haul and he's moved in so that you and I can interact with him and know him and see him. God has come near. And he's come to include you. And he's come to include me. He says, so repent and believe this good news. And I love the word repent. We don't talk about this word very much outside of like church circles, right? Repent just simply means it's a, a change of heart and life. It's a complete turnabout, the way you're living. So to give us an idea of repentance, repentance is driving down 40 East to spend a weekend in Asheville, North Carolina at the Biltmore and deciding before you get to the Smokies, I don't wanna go to the Biltmore, I wanna go to LA. And so instead of going 40 East, you literally turn and go the opposite direction on 40 West towards California. Repentance is moving in a different direction towards a different destination. And God says, because I am here, things have to change. He says, repent, turn your life around. He says, and believe in me. He says, believe in this good news. And I'm going, what is the good news that he's proclaiming? What's the good news that he's inviting us to believe? And I think what he's wanting us to see is to, to believe that, that God is near, even though we can't see him. 
Right? Like, look around. Do any of you guys see God here with us? You do. I don't see him, Kevin. But maybe, like, I know he's here, but I don't like tangibly see him. It's awesome that you can see him. And things he's wanting us to see is, is to believe something that which we cannot see. To believe this reality that in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our dryness, in the midst of our comfort, that God has come near because God cares, because we are on God's radar, because he loves us. He says, believe. Believe this good news. That God has come near. I was thinking about the power in believing. How when you really believe in someone or something, how it can just drastically change your life. So I remember on June 8th, 2007, I remember getting down on my knee at Aaron and Grant and Alfred's family's place. I remember getting down on my knee and, and holding this ring and looking up in Courtney's eyes and, and saying, will you marry me? And I just looked at her and I said, I love you and I'm going to spend the rest of my life loving you. Like I'm going to protect you and take care of you and provide for you. Like for the rest of my life, I will be here for you. Through the ups and downs, the good and bads, the hard stuff, you will be my, you'll be my woman. <laughs> and she had a choice to make in that moment. Would she believe me? Would she accept and receive my words and reorient her life around the things that I had spoken? Or would you choose to disbelieve me? To walk in unbelief? And as I sat, like, no, I didn't sit, as I was kneeling in this vulnerable moment, just begging her and begging her to marry me, she finally said yes. And it was amazing because for the next 11 months, everything about her life, everything about my life, was oriented around what the other person said. So because I said, I love you and I will continue to love you, uh, I want to marry you for the next 11 months. She bought a dress and she picked out colors and picked out tablecloths and made our wedding awesome. And, and for the next 11 months, I had to find a job. And for the next 11 months, I met with people to figure out how to lead my wife closer to the Lord. I went and rented an apartment a month before we were married and put a payment down. And I did all this because I, I was banking on her showing up on May 10th. I was banking on her showing up May 11th and May 12th through 2008, 2009 to the rest of our lives. You see, there's something powerful about what happened when we chose to believe the other person and Jesus shows up in the places where we are. He meets us where we are and says, I want you to believe even though you can't see that I'm here and that if, if you will let me, life will get better for you. This is a big picture of what Jesus is saying in verses 14 and 15. And I love what Mark does, though. He doesn't leave it up in the air for us to theoretically figure out what this means. He really paints a beautiful picture. He changes the angle for us. He zooms in so we can see the runners on the starting line so he can show us what this really looks like being played out in a person who's trying to follow Jesus. So he says this in verse 16. He says, as Jesus Christ walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, Jesus called them, and they left their father in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is a word of God from Mark chapter one. And what I learned this week is about the Sea of Galilee, that it was this booming fishing industry. 
And so in their world, it was fish. It wasn't beef, it wasn't chicken or tofu or whatever weird thing that we eat these days is uh, people trying to eat healthy. It's like fish was their staple food. And the Sea of Galilee was a place that it was shipped to all, shipped from all over the world. And so I realized as I was like looking at Simon and Andrew that these were not just some like uh, unsuccessful dropout sitting in their, uh, their grandfather's John boat hoping to catch a fish. These are successful businessmen. Their business is growing, going to grow as much as they're willing to work. And Jesus shows up to these men in the middle of their work day and he offers them something more. Jesus shows up and says, come. And I love what he's doing there. He's, he's literally just saying, come here. Like, Drew, come here. Ty, come here. Ed, come here. Come. Come to me. Come, literally, be near me. He says, follow me. And in the Greek, what he's saying is literally walk beside me. Like, I want you to, to spend your life with me. To get to know me. I want you to go with me where I go. I want you to do with me what I do. Be with me. Come follow me. And I'll send you out to fish for people. Or another translation says, and I'll make you into fishers of men. And it says that they dropped their nets, got out of the boat, left everything and followed him. This morning I was trying to get my thoughts together and pull all this together. And these two words that just came to my mind, what, what Jesus was doing here. He's inviting, he's inviting them to spectate and to participate. He's inviting them to spectate and to participate. And so uh, I think what is happening is in the middle of their work day, they, it, Jesus shows up and they realized the, the weight of what was happening here. They realized that they were in, being invited to know God. Like they weren't being invited to, to just come to know some historical figure or just another prophet. They were being invited to know the sinless son of God, full of the hope of the world, the, the, the king of glory, the one who created this world, who sustains it, the one who from the very beginning was with a father who spoke all that is in existence into existence. The one who wired us and who, who detailed the intricacies of our organs who holds the world together, who holds the air pressure together in a way that we can breathe and process and live. The, the God, the creator of the universe who put the moon and the stars and Simon and Andrew and James and John see Jesus and they go, man, he's not just some other person. He is the, the king. He's the son. He's God himself. They realized that they were being invited to know God. They realized that they were gonna get to be with Jesus that they were gonna get a front row seat to the work of God, that they were gonna to get to witness over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, God do things. And it's amazing the things that we're gonna, we're gonna see that the apostles, these two men, these four men get to be a part of the things that they get to see Jesus do as we journey through the book of Mark. And all they had to do was to, to go where he went. When Jesus moved, they too had to move. But they realized that it wasn't just about Jesus inviting them to be spectators, to, to see him doing and moving. 
But at the most basic level, Jesus was inviting them to participate. That although Jesus was going to undoubtedly do amazing things, he was inviting them to do the same thing. And I can only imagine, man, as I think about these guys, as I was thinking about my life and the reason I started following Jesus, man, it's so often how, like, in the midst of our dryness or brokenness, or even in the midst of our comfort, like the, there's something in the, the deepest places of our souls that are thirsty for more. I think these guys realized that they were not satisfied the, with the life that they had. They had a great job, making great money, eating fresh, freshly caught fish every single day. And yet they realized that they wanted more. They realized there was something more for them. And what God was wrestling out of me this week is, Brandon, is this just a story about what Jesus did? Or do you see that it's more? This is not just a story about what I did, that he's, God is way more dynamic than that. That this is a story about who Jesus is and what he's still doing. That Jesus is still in the business of meeting us wherever we are in life looking us in the eye and going, do you want more? So I ask us this morning, man, do you want more of God? Like when you look at your life, you, you look at the, the life you're living, going to school or working or being married or playing on seven flag football teams, like look at the life that you're living. Do you want more of God? Do you want to know him more? Do you want your life to be more in step with, with his will? Do you want to follow Jesus, not just in word, but actually in the way that you're living? Do you want to see God move? Do you want to participate with God? You know, and it hit me this week that the, the ball is not in Jesus' court. And so I think it's easy to come to texts like this so often. And we go, yeah, I'm on board. Jesus, come and, and meet me and invite me into this. And I'll go. And so we go, okay, tonight I'm going to pray. And during my prayer time, Jesus, if you'll just show up and if you'll invite me to do this, I'll leave everything and follow you. And I think what, the thing that Jesus is wanting us to see is that the ball is already in our court. That Jesus is meeting us here. This is not just some story that he is here with us. And he's in looking at us and inviting us. Do you want more? And we have to figure out how we will respond. And so for some of us, the move that he's inviting us to take is to come to him. To come to know Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had a moment in your life like this where you've known some things about God. But then something happens when you actually meet God. Like there was a, a, a huge shift in my life when I went from just believing that there could be a God to actually interacting with God. And Jesus is going, man, come to me. Get to know me. Spend the rest of your life getting a front row seat to me working. 
I want you to understand this. If, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and even if you are, sometimes I think we get caught up in this. When you step into a relationship with God, into a life with, with Jesus, you're not stepping into some unilateral relationship where, where you do all the talking and serving and all these things and God doesn't do anything. It's such a beautiful, dynamic relationship where you speak and the God of the universe responds. And God reveals himself. And he makes himself known and he answers our prayers and he draws near. And he comforts us and he encourages us and he fills our hearts full of joy and peace in the midst of difficult circumstances. Our God is alive and he's aware of you. And maybe he's not fixing the situation that, that you've been struggling in for the past few years, but what he's inviting for you to do is to come to know him, to anchor your life so much in relationship with him. Come to know him. I was thinking about how it's so easy sometimes to hear people like me who, uh, who, who love the Lord. You know, I remember growing up and I would hear people talk about um, the way that they, they knew God and they loved God. And there was a point in my life where that was not the case for me. Where I didn't know God. I didn't love the Lord. And every time I'd be around someone that did, I would always go, man, God could never be for someone like me. That there's something more significant or more special. And the, the reality of what Jesus shows us in Mark chapter 1 is that he has come for all of us. I, I wish, I don't wish this, but I, I kind of do. I don't know how you perceive me. You get to be with me for like an hour a week. And I know what I always thought about people who stood up here, that they had their lives figured out, that they always just walked in tune with God. But I wish you could see the, 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 the things that were going on in the deep places of my heart. I wish you could see the selfishness and the arrogance and the pride and the anger and the frustration and the bitterness and the jealousy and all the things that really passed through my heart. And what I want you to understand is that Jesus Christ came for sinful and broken people like me. And he's come for sinful and broken people like you. Come to me. You know, I'm, I've got two kids, Finley, a two-year-old little girl. And I don't just want to know Finley. I want to know Jones, my son as well. And I want to know our third kid who's on its way. Just kidding. We don't have another kid that's on the way. So. People are like, you crazy, man. You got too many kids too early. No, but as a father, I want to know my kids. I want to have a relationship with them. I want to enjoy them. And you are one of God's. And he wants you. He wants you to know him and to press into him, to enjoy him. For some, the invitation is to come to him for the first time. You know, you don't have to know everything there is to know about Jesus. You don't ever even have to have read the Bible before. If you look at your life and you go, I, uh, there's more, there's something in my heart that wants more. And you understand that Jesus is the more. You are perfectly positioned for life with God. The invitation for some is to come. The invitation for some of us is to keep following. You know, I, I've heard this so often when we talk about following Jesus and we go, man, what does that actually look like to follow Jesus? What does that mean? I thought of a couple of different things and you guys can think about these and decide if they're right or wrong. If they're wrong, don't tell me because it'll hurt my feelings. Um, but 
Just kidding. Um, a couple different things about how, what it means to follow Jesus. I think the first piece is, is solitude. That there's something about just knowing God in the quiet places of, of life. That there's something about praying and, and reading scripture and just getting to know who God is. That's what it means, to, partially, to, to follow Jesus, to, to read. To understand what it is that brings delight to his heart, what it means to actually follow him. You know, I've learned being married to court for six and a half years, um, I've learned over time the things that delight her. You know, one of the things I learned early on is that she loves a non-fat, no-whip, white chocolate mocha. I've learned as we've been married that, that she doesn't like our house to be dirty. And she hates it when our dog sheds hair everywhere. I've learned that she likes when I get up early on Sunday mornings and leave before she and the kids are up. She likes when the first thing that she gets to see is a note from me. And so as I've learned all these things about what brings delight to her heart, I've had to consciously make the choice. Will I do these things? And show her that I really do love her. I really am serious about being in this relationship or do I not do those things? And one of the things that we see as we learn about Jesus, you know, don't, don't kick yourself for not knowing everything there is to know about the Christian life following Jesus. Spend time with him. Get to know him. Get to know his heart. Then take delight in pleasing him. You know, I think it's about solitude, but I also think it's, it's about community. It's about surrounding yourself with, with people who are walking with Jesus, towards Jesus. That there's something about opening yourself up and, and letting people see who you really are and confessing your burdens and your struggles and letting other people pray for you and care for you. That there's something about letting people have authority to speak into your life. You go, man, I, I'm thinking about doing this. I think this is what God wants. You guys think that's from God. Instead of being isolated and making all the decisions by ourselves, we let other people have say in our lives. I think in community, we, we listen to the Holy Spirit and the way that he speaks and moves. That we learn to discern his voice what he's doing in our lives. I think it's about solitude. I think it's about community. And I also think that following Jesus is about being okay with risk. You know, if, if comfort is our only goal in life, we cannot follow Jesus. If, if comfort is all that we are after in life, we cannot follow Jesus. You know, there's something about the nature of this text where, where Simon and Andrew and James and John were literally holding on to nets and they dropped them. And the risk that was involved to, to follow Jesus, what it was going to cost. I go, as you look at your lives, are there risks that Jesus is inviting you and us to take? Is he inviting you to take a risk with your money? Maybe to give for the very first time. Maybe to live sacrificially to help other people who are in need. Is he inviting you to take a risk to, to let go of that relationship? Is he inviting you to take that risk and to invite your neighbor to church with you? Is he inviting you to take a risk and to, to leave it all? 
I don't know the risk that Jesus is inviting all of us to take, but I'm going as a follower of Jesus, what it means is that we are okay with risk because we know the one we're following. You know, Finley, we're going through this phase right now where every time I tell her to do something, she, it's a fight, it's a struggle. Everything I tell her to do, she says no. And I'm like, if you only understood that I only do what is best for you, that I will only take care of you. I will only love you. I will never lead you astray. I will only and always take care of you. And it's a picture of God going, man, as you follow me, you can trust me. Trust me with your finances. Trust me with your time. Trust me with your sexuality. And instead of living a life for your glory, man, try living a life for my glory. Instead of trying to make me come under your life, man, why don't you submit your life to me? Go, everything I am, God, everything I have, my family and my time and my job, everything about me, it's yours. You follow Jesus. For some of us, he's, he's inviting us to really evaluate. And for all of us who are followers of Jesus, the step is to let Jesus make us into fishers of men. You know that we are not primarily just spectators. We are participators. Finley right now, one of her favorite things to do is anytime Courtney and I are doing something, she wants to be a part of it. So we're cooking and she wants to be in the kitchen or we're cleaning the house and she runs and gets her mini vacuum, which is awesome. Or we're playing outside and she wants to be there. She understands that life is best lived not by spectating, but by, by, by participating. There we go. She understands that the best life comes when you participate. And I think as, as we, every single one of us, we are wired this way, that, that God has made us to be spectators of his glory and his work, but also to be participators in the advancement of his kingdom. That you and I were made to come to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, and then to let Jesus make us into something. That an entirety of our lives becomes being about Jesus and seeing people come to know him. You know, as I look at my life, I realize that I'm not there yet. That I'm just not there yet, if I'm just being honest. That my heart doesn't break for the loss, that the fullness of my time and my resources and my life hasn't been fully submitted to the Lord because I see the way that I'm still living. But I see how different I am than when I was, when I started following Jesus 18 years ago. And I go, God is making me into something different. Last Sunday before I got up to teach at the cannery at the five, the Holy Spirit was um, just helping me see. He was just kind of asking me, Brandon, if, if all the people in your life that don't know Jesus that you are praying for, I want you to imagine what it would be like to be standing next to them worshiping at the cannery, at Marathon. I want you to imagine what it would be like to all the people that you're praying for And I just imagining one of my good friends who's just walked away from the Lord, I just imagine him standing next to me, hands raised. Imagine my next door neighbor. Imagine some family members. And it moved my heart. And God's going, man, Brandon, this is not just something that I want you to, to spectate. I want you to participate in making this a reality. Oh, yes, God. Yes.
And we look at our insecurities and our incompetencies to, to share our faith and to invite people to Jesus and to, to, to play a part in this. And Jesus says, it's not your job to make you into fishers of men. He says, it's something I will do. But you gotta come, you gotta follow. Two questions I want us to think about this week. As we leave this place, as we go throughout the week with our friends and our families and our house churches, I want you to, to think about this. I want you to talk about this during communion this morning and, and to let this kind of guide our conversations this week. But I want you to really be honest and to evaluate. Ask yourself the question, what is the highest calling in your life? Like, What is the highest desire in your life? What drives you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What do you invest in? What do you live for? What is the highest calling in your life? If it's not Jesus, and if it's not seeing people come to know him, there are probably some things that we need to repent from. And it's not to condemn us. It's because Jesus is after our joy and he knows that there's unbelievable joy in watching him and participating. I'm telling you, there's unbelievable joy in getting to be a part of watching people come to know Jesus. A joy that is unmatched. What's the highest calling in your life? The second question I want you to, to ask and to think about is, is what is he inviting you to do? Is he inviting you to come? follow? Are there areas of your life that you need to submit that you've been holding on to? Are there places of community that you need to step into? What is he calling you to, to come, to follow? Or maybe it's just to surrender more so he can make you into fishers of men, to fill you with courage. Where do you find yourself in this story? So as we go to communion, what is the highest calling? What's he inviting you to do? Let's pray.